If it's not the right line or the right path, it will show you where the next step is and to be able to have that confidence to go there rather than be be racked with fear. I really think we need to be given permission to make mistakes. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful, and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. Welcome everyone to Brilliant Misfits, another fabulous episode for you today. I just want to remind you that you can join my Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits, where we continue the conversation and expand our creative possibilities. Today, I have another artist. I love interviewing artists and um, she's very special and I've known her for a while and we haven't connected or in recent times, so I'm really excited to catch up with her. Her name is Kelly O'Dempsey, and she's an installation performance drawing artist. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So um, let's just talk about that title, Installation and Performance Drawing Artist. So how did that drawing, I think we all understand what drawing is, but how did you combine, how did it come to be that you combine performance drawing? And and can you just tell the audience a little bit about what that actually is? I understand performance drawing to be um, when a drawing artist makes work in front of an audience knowing that it's going to be seen. The making of it and the process of that creation is part of the work. So you end up with a um, a finished artwork, possibly. Who knows whether a drawing's ever finished. But the process of that making is actually shared with uh, a witness and that could be through video or it could be in a live state, like a performance. Mm, so a lot of your work, um, I would gather from what you just said, is is really in the moment, like you don't really know how it's going to unfold. No, but I set up parameters and spaces and venues and papers and material to um, to allow that process to happen. So you kind of um, build a set, for want of a better word, and I work a lot with mus- live musicians and performers and dancers as well. So we improvise. We use that notion of improvisation um, as a as a guide. But we have a we have like a strategy. But the drawing and the movement and the music isn't decided beforehand. But a strategy of how to come to that space is. Hmm. I think that's a really. Um really important thing to point out and not just for um, visual artists or artists in general but I think um, the idea that creativity I think people misunderstand creativity a lot and thinking it's just um, you know free and it's chaotic and all of that but actually when there is a structure and a strategy as you spoke of um, in place it actually allows um, the creativity to flow even or expand even more yeah, I think so. I think mm. that so 
some kind of strategy or for want of a better term, boundary or restriction can give you give you a space to work in. Yeah, that makes really that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So did you when you started, did you just start drawing and and then decide that you wanted to how did that come about that you combined the two? Did you first start off just drawing as a kid or whatever or I drew, I drew as a child and then um, as I went through to art school, I completed a degree in, uh, which I chose to do, which was a degree that majored in drawing. Um, so it was an area that I really wanted to pursue. And then the particular time when I finished this degree, it was um, at the height of sort of post-modernity when knowing how to draw and um, manually making things wasn't very fashionable. Mm. So um, I found myself and also have a very sort of close love for uh, music and live music. So I ended up just as my own interest drawing a lot at uh, live music venues that I used to go at frequent. <laughs> and that grew into being an artist at resident, a resident artist at various music festivals. Oh, that uh, must have been really an exciting sort of thing. Yeah, it was fun. And then that grew into drawing larger at those festivals or um, the short story is, yeah. And then I decided to rather than draw another artist to actually experiment with the idea of putting on an event that was about the artist being the performer and people came and witnessed the making. Um, and it was also a way of bringing, for me, I think it was a bit of a way uh, to sort of a bit of resistance against what was fashionable at the moment. I wanted to see that people can still draw uh, and that it's it's quite a unique experience. And I had this idea that when people see something drawn live in front of them both the artist and the witness sees the final result together so they kind of share the upbringing of an artwork <laughs> wow that's so cool I love that it's sort of like I'm, I'm doing this and now I'm going to show it to you you're sort of like saying hey come along with me on this journey and let's do this together in a way yeah I mean even though they're not physically the audience isn't physically drawing but they're actually part of your process as it unfolds yeah and sometimes in some in specific live events I've included the spectators in the drawings and the musicians in the drawings. So they become kind of what I refer to as site-generated. So they're not masses. They, they sort of happen at the site and whatever was at the site actually informs the drawing that's made. Mm. And what happens to them after? Well, I, there's lots of different stories. Um, <laughs> I lived, when I lived... Um, when I lived out the back in the valley, I, I burnt them in a big pile and watched them burn because um, some drawings were really big and quite involved a lot of paper. Um, some of them get sold and some of them uh, get torn up and made and collaged back into new works because I really like the act of uh, composing with old works and sort of tearing them up and remaking them. 
Hmm, it's like recycling them or giving them a new life in a way, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, that line that you make or that gesture that you make in those moments um, has got such a, an essence and such a uh, an honesty to it that sometimes you the whole drawing itself mightn't work as a as a as an individual composition, but there's certain lines and things like that that just have this essential moment in them, and I like to play with them and see see how I can recompose them into other works. Mm, I like that idea of um, you know I think there's a tendency for for new artists or beginners and they're just starting to draw. And of course we have to get through all that mind chatter stuff of saying it's, you know, crap and all of that. But I think, you know, sometimes we just want to throw the whole thing out and just crumple it up. And I mean, that could be a good exercise, but um, what I hear you saying that sometimes if you really look with an open mind, you can see that, that in those lines, that immediacy that it captures something in the moment that you're, where you're at and what you're expressing and that you can actually, you know, use that or save it or cut that bit out and, and reuse it in something else. You have to be prepared to destroy it though. And oh, that's okay. always the risk because you've got to tear it up ah, in order yeah. to, to make it live again. So there's this, this lovely sort of cyclic idea. and As a teacher I, I sort of try and convince my students that, if they're not, um, if they're not making mistakes, they're not doing well, mm. Mm. <laughs> and just sort of turn that sort of education notion of if you're not, if you're making mistakes, you're a bad student. But I'm like, if you don't make mistakes and you don't make more mistakes, you are not pushing yourself into new areas. So you're not doing very well in my class. Mm. So I really kind of encourage that idea that uh, lots of mistakes and going to areas that are weird and uncomfortable are are sort of, it's encouraged. Mm. What do you find with your students is the the biggest sort of hurdle or resistance when they're drawing? Um, They try to envisage the final drawing before they start. Interesting, yeah. Uh, and it's and I sort of talk to them in relation that it's you're sort of becoming a designer as opposed to a drawer. Uh, so if you're designing an artwork and you refuse to move anything because you think that's okay, you're not letting that artwork evolve. So um, and then when it doesn't, the mistakes happen and it's not the artwork that they have in their head, they lose interest. Mm. So mm. it's a kind of a way of actually pushing through and making more marks and making marks and making marks and making another mistake and making another mistake and the last mark you make will be right but everything leading up to that is wrong. So if, if you convince them that it's wrong, I take the what I call the masterpiece complex away and they're, they're not pressured. They're actually more free and a lot more involved. I like that masterpiece complex. complex. Yeah, <laughs> just unpack that a little bit for us. Um, just that idea that you put down a mark and it's the perfect mark and you <laughs> and you build a drawing around that mark. Ah, yeah. And you mm-hmm. never let it move and then the drawing may 
sort of fall off the page or never actually kind of fit properly because you refused to move that mark because that mark was so perfect and so I convinced them that that mark wasn't perfect and you're not Michelangelo. So just get <laughs> over it and fight and draw and rub out and redraw and fight and it's a struggle. Mm. If you're not struggling, um, you're, not, you're not making something worthwhile Mm. that's interesting because a lot of the you know sort of new age way of thinking is like you know if you're struggling you're, you're not aligned and um and so what I hear you saying that 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 struggle the resistance the you know all of that the fight is part of the creative process yeah that's right that's right mm. and if you don't if you can't go there you can't play <laughs> <laughs> but we all want to play, we don't we? We all want to play. We've got to be able to go there and go, yeah. okay, no, whatever dream you had of it being some sort of superstardom and you're knocking out a million one masterpieces, it's a myth. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so I guess making things in public is putting myself really right in mm. that process and it's quite confronting. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like walking your talk. You're teaching this, but you're actually walking your talk by doing that just and in in a big public visible way. And I'm nerve-wracked when I do it every time. Mm. You know, I don't walk in confident in knowing it all. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's an important thing you mentioned about, you know, the unknown because that is a part of life and that is a part especially in the creative process that um you know we have to embrace that we're going to step into the unknown we're going to step into the unknowing of where this is going whatever that is whether it's a line on the paper or where you know this next step is for us in whatever path we're on in life yeah and if it's not the right line or the right path it will show you where the next step is mm. and to be able to have that confidence to go there rather than be, be racked with fear and not uh, and become immobile. So it's just like so you've got to have, I really think we need to be given permission to make mistakes. Mm. Yeah, that that's, yeah, and then I can see that ties in with if you give yourself permission to make mistakes and look at something you've done without judging it and saying, well, that's not a masterpiece, It's you know, then you slowly build a little bit of courage. Would you say that's true? Yeah, to, like continue, a, a confidence. yeah. to continue the adventure, to find mm. how thing, how to find and get the skills to make the next set of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> how can I make the next set of mistakes? Exactly. That would be a good question to ask oneself in, yeah. their, in their creative process to get over that perfectionism. I think uh, perfectionism is, is sort of the big endemic disease in our society and and um, it just, you know, it's, it's not just in the art world, it's in lots of places, but I think it just kind of destroys creativity to have that perfectionist attitude yeah yeah Mm. yeah. and so I see what you're doing is beautiful work in your teaching because you're actually helping um break that down and saying yeah make more mistakes make more mistakes (laughs) yeah yeah and find out where you want to go with that rather than 
Mm. I, I really, I'm about to teach one of my first semester first classes tomorrow, actually. So this is a good conversation to have, but I do enter into that that conversation with them straight away is that you are not going to make drawings for teacher. Don't make mm. drawings for teacher. Don't make drawings to please me because then if you're just making them to please me, I'm not happy. <laughs> mm. So you're, 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 uh, you know, your pursuit is fruitless. <laughs> <laughs> let's make what you want to make and I will help you and push you down the path of where you want to go with your work. Yeah, and even and maybe even especially if they, they don't know where they're going to be going with it, it's even better. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, because yeah. sometimes I think um, having an idea is great, but sometimes not having an idea and letting the idea reveal itself to you as you're working can also work quite well. I think so, and I think it is a process of analysis and self-criticality. Uh, so you go into that process and then at a stage you've got to sit back and look at all the work and go, okay, where do I want to go with this? I can't just keep bumbling along and making massive amounts of mistakes. Okay, that work on the left-hand side, I'm going to follow that trajectory and you sort of go that way. So, Hmm. Yeah. Mm. But you can't actually even get to that point of making that decision until you're actually taking actions and, you know, actually creating the drawings and That's actually right. doing the work. You can't sort of sit back and try and decide everything and, you know, plan out an idea. It actually requires a physicality. Yep. Mm. Yep, definitely. And a lot of my work is based in the body and based in action, so I work a lot with gesture and shape. Like I don't um, necessarily just pull images from my brain. They actually generally have a, a place in in the, the physical body. So whether it's mine or whether it's a performance or whether it's a, um, an, a musician's or or drawings that I've done of people in the past, they seem to have that that sort of resonance. Hmm. And I've seen, um, you know, photos and little video clips of you doing things with ink with this enormous, huge sort of calligraphy brush that's about the size of you, like it's as tall as you. And um, can you talk about that a little bit? Even though we don't have a visual, um, people can look that up afterwards. But, yeah, I'm just interested. What brought you into that sort of exploration? Um, it was given to me as a gift, uh, and uh, my partner arrived one ho- home with it one day and said, I think you need this. I saw it and I thought, you need this. <laughs> so and I, he took it and I, and I sort of became connected to it quite fast. I was using extensions like large brushes uh, on, on the end of bamboo sticks so they were actually, you know, one or two metres long and so I was inventing my own long brush, but he actually found one in his travels and brought it home. So that was a good thing. That's oh, a very nice <laughs> gift. Yeah. Now I want to go back to that um, where you were talking about, you know, when you first started drawing and it was this very traditional thing and, and you didn't really feel um, – 
to go down that path. So you basically had to find a different way of doing that. So, um, so that sort of to me is like you have this little bit of a, well, I'm, I'm just projecting maybe, but <laughs> there's this part of you that when you feel like you don't fit in, there's a little rebelliousness and you want to find your own way and you're going to, you know, you're going to bring drawing up to say, yeah, drawing is just as relevant as ever. So where, is there a point in your life, like as you were, in, you know, growing up as a child that um, this part of you really sort of revealed itself? Um, I, I grew up, my parents traveled a lot. So uh, because they owned not a lot, but they owned about three different businesses across Victoria as I grew up, and we travelled in between those businesses to get to and from them. And they were pubs, country pubs. Hmm. So when I grew up, I didn't grow up in a house like a domestic house with mum and dad. I grew up upstairs above a country pub. So my life was public. Mm-hmm. Um, so my bedroom was one of the hotel rooms upstairs and my parents ran the hotels and so, and they're in country towns. So it was very much a family run business. So it wasn't, I didn't know any different because I lived in them from about two till 16, 17. Uh, and we traveled a lot in between. So I was always the new kid at school. And in between pubs, sometimes the change between pubs was over nine months to a year a couple of times and we uh, lived with friends in another city and and went to another school. So I was always the new kid so I always had that feeling. I mean that's pretty much that title in itself says that the new kid is the kid that's the odd one out always. Yeah, 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 and often gets picked on or yeah, singled you've got out. Yeah, got to kind of, yeah, or, you know, I kind of, in, in hindsight I've realised that I actually first, people I made friends with in the new schools were always the, um, were always the the fringe dwellers. So, and in hindsight, I've known a few of them as we've got older, they were either the homosexuals or they were the people that were slightly, uh, had some sort of physical um disability and then there was a new kid so we all kind of (laughs) seemed to hang together so uh, it's just sort of interesting so I've always sort of gravitated to um an interesting sub sub social group Mm. but then found out that I you know could cross social groups didn't really belong to any particular area at any one time so I mean, that also includes the kids that predominantly there were country schools that were full of white children, so it also meant that the kids that were kids of refugees at the time, which was, you know, like in that time in Australia, which were Vietnamese refugees or Chinese refugees. So, yeah, that was a common way of being for me, but because I grew up in a pub and we had to work in the pub and, you know, we were all waitresses and operated the kitchen, you also had a public ability to deal with public. Mm. It was part of the training that my parents gave me that I have an understanding of um, social communication. So um, I think that's where me making drawings in public was 
something I did, but I never did. I've never done it in confidence. I know I can do it, and I'm confident at that. But I always feel quite vulnerable and quite awkward in it as well. So. Yeah, and I think that, but that comes through, and I think that's the, um, you know, the the courage, the heart to step into the unknown, um, because it's bigger than just you know your personal self that you're willing to do that because you have that in you that that ability and that maybe even a desire to connect with people would you say that that sort of is true oh, I don't know if I have it I do have a desire to connect with people but I have a good I have a I have the ability to connect with people mm, mm. so it's a gift I think um uh that's why I was always good at running bars and stuff like that <laughs> because I have that sort of uh and I'm a good teacher on that level where I can actually communicate with most people in the class mm. and that's cool too so that's a, a really lovely gift and uh, um in a lot of ways I think it's something that was taught because I lived in a public house so you didn't just go home to mum and dad at the end of the day actually didn't see mum and dad as much as I saw the chef and the barman and the, the old people sitting in the what used to be the parlour where they'd go having one little drink before they'd go home and, and mm. you know, so I actually met quite a large cross-section of people. Mind you, it was all evolved around booze and food but a lot of great things are. and it was a pub after all and pubs actually were the connecting you know was it like a connection place for people to socialize connect with one another yeah and it often sort of brought together a lot of different social groups in country towns I think that's changed a lot Mm. in Australian culture but yeah but it's sort of kind of as you're talking and see that it kind of informs your present day work because you did mention to me before we got on air that you do love doing um collaborative work yeah yeah and bring together music and dance and uh and I work a lot in projections now too so a lot of digital stuff so it actually can cover larger surfaces so more people can see the work can you explain that a little bit? Because we don't have a visual. That's okay. <laughs> Do you mean like a projector screen onto something? or Yeah, using a projector. So mm-hmm. it's, And you can project onto anything you want, onto the side of a building or a wall or um, onto the dancers themselves. Wow. So you mm. change. Um, and, I, and, and, it's, and I draw with light. So um, it's a kind of, it's just like it's a digital tool that you use um, uh, sort of tablet software and um, it can move with dancers and things like that. So I like to play with uh, – and they're not, it's not pre-programmed, it's live. So you see the line sort of move and be drawn just like when you draw on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Only it can be projected. I'm drawing a 30-centimetre line but it can be projected – to, you know, five metres. Wow, that sounds amazing. So, So, yeah, so I just just sort of want to ask, like, if um, people want to actually see what you're doing, is there some place they can go to have a look? 
Um, there's a I've got a Vimeo page called Callio Dempsey, mm-hmm. and as also uh, bits and pieces on my website, which is Kellyo.com. Okay, I'll have that. I'll have the links. If you give me the links, I'll put the links up in the show notes for this episode so people can go and have a little look and see what what you're doing and how you're expanding the boundaries of of drawing, actually. Yeah. And is there anything you're currently working on? I'm I'm doing my PhD at the moment, so that's Mm -hmm. a big thing. Um, And that will entail developing... Uh, a final body of work and performance so I'm just sort of piecing all that together Um, and that will take probably I've got to sort of nail a lot of that idea and document in the next six months so that will happen in Brisbane Australia and I am in a show in regional Australia called Just Draw and I'll go to Bathurst Regional Gallery and do a live drawing there. So there's a couple of little things I'm involved in and a little and, and sort of collaborative groups where work is developed and then we see where we can take it in the future. Hmm. And so the the show Just Draw, is that currently on or is it upcoming or it's going to open in three weeks. It's just Perfect. been at Newcastle Gallery. Mm-hmm. and it's going to Bathurst Regional Gallery. Beautiful. It's a big group show of um, Australian artists who use the term draw and make work completely different to each other. Right. So, so again, it's sort of taking out that um, the concept or the, the sort of visual idea of what drawing is and saying, you know, expanding what that means. Yeah. Great. So I can get a link to that as well and we'll put that up on the show notes so people can, if they're in the area, they can go and have a look. It sounds very exciting. Cool. Now, um, just about finished with the program, is there anything else that you want to particularly talk about, about your work? Um, not really. I think I've pretty much talked about how drawing works. I, I know that a lot of my work is predominantly line work mm. and I think that makes it easy to make performance work when it's predominantly line mm. and the energy of the line and how that works with mm. dance and movement. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like it's where I'm at at the moment. I'm not sure if it's where I'll continue doing. I have no idea. <laughs> It's the exciting part, not having any idea and just seeing, you know, getting the clues and then following that. Oh, let me try that. Let me try this. Yeah. So I want to ask you um, if you can just, if you were to reach out to our listeners and just hold their hands today and just say, um, give them some word of wisdom or some encouragement if they're a little bit afraid to draw or they don't know where to start or any words of wisdom that you might want to impart? Oh, don't be afraid to make a lot of mistakes. Please make a lot of mistakes. That's <laughs> what I would say. Start drawing and you're doing well if you're making lots and lots of mistakes. 
Fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I think that's brilliant. I think, I mean, it's not, I can apply that to a lot of things actually, yeah, well, because, you know, we do get into that state of like, oh, I don't want to make a mistake. And if you can catch yourself and just go the opposite way and say, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. It's, it's very freeing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you kind of, they're just little triggers to, to learn from. Mm. Uh, I think a failure is underrated. <laughs> mm. well, it's true in the entrepreneurial world you know I know a lot of women who are business entrepreneurs they have businesses online and it really is like the bible it's like you know you're gonna fail and just fail well yeah and that's that's a, that's the Samuel Beckett quote isn't it yeah. fail <laughs> fail well fail better mm. fail fail again fail better <laughs> love it <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on. I feel really honored and privileged and grateful that you shared with us um, your magic and your art and um, how you're expanding creative possibilities in your life. Thank you very much, Aisha. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Kelly, and I hope that you enjoyed listening. I think it's such an important point, even though she was talking about drawing, I mean, we can apply this to anything in our lives about the willingness to make mistakes, make more mistakes, and, you know, not get rid of that whole perfectionist thing and be willing to um, step into the unknown. I think it applies to not just us creatives or artists, but anything that you're creating in your life, whether it's a business or a program, that it's a really important uh, point that that willingness to just move things around and not get stuck in one place to, if this isn't working, just wipe it out and, and try something new. And I think that's a really valuable thing that we can all take into our lives. So I really thank Kelly for being on the show today. And next week, we're going to talk with someone who is an inner story coach. And it very much ties in with um, what we've all been talking about and, and that fluidity of who we think we are and if we think we don't fit in or not belong what stories are we telling ourselves so that'll be a fascinating episode so tune in next week thank you all for being here today if you enjoyed the episode please go to itunes and give it a review and subscribe and don't forget to join our private facebook group brilliant misfits and for more information on living a creative life www.asiakennedy.com